You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on diversity, inclusion, and understanding for Black cultures through conversations that help us connect to ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host, Monique Russell. Today in the guest chair, I have an incredible woman. She is a senior lecturer in the Department of Marketing and Entrepreneurship at the University of Ghana's Business School, where she was also actually the first woman to acquire a PhD in marketing from the University of Ghana. She is an author with 24 publications, which includes six books. You heard me right. I said 24 and one industry report. This is going to be an incredible episode. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sheena Boateng. Thank you so much, Monique. I'm happy to be here. Yes, let's dive right on in. So I always ask the guests if they could be anywhere in the world, where would they choose to be and why? So let's start with that. I've always had this question asked in different ways on different platforms. And my answer is always the same. I wouldn't trade being in Ghana and in Africa for any other location, perhaps to go to other places to visit and experience the cultures. But I always want to return back home because I believe there is so much untapped potential in Ghana, in Africa. And there are so many ways in which you can make impact. In other parts of the world, when you visit, you realize that there are people who are homegrown in those places, making impact in the lives of the people who live there and, and affecting change. And it always gives me inspiration to come back to my own home and do the same and, and perhaps take it to the next level. So I'm excited to always go and learn about different things and come and do them in my home country, Ghana. So if you ask me if I'll trade... <laughs> Perhaps a visit for a short period, but I will always choose Ghana because there's so much I can do in Ghana and in Africa. Yes, choose Ghana. I love it. Listen, when I was there last year, I had an incredible time and I cannot wait to go back. I love how you said, you know, it would be Ghana, Africa. So like first place, yeah. second place. <laughs> Now, when I think about you, when I read about you, the one word that jumped out is marketing, marketing. It is something yeah. so many people struggle with, not just in the business space, but just in general. So I want to ask you, what led you to go down this path? That's a very interesting question. And I always enjoy answering this question because it's so dear to my heart. So I grew up in a home of female entrepreneurs. Um, they were all engaged in some kind of small business or another, including my mother herself and my grandmother. So I grew up with my grandmother mostly because my mom was always working. 
And my grandmother was by trade a textile retailer. So she used to sell all sorts of textiles, including Hollandis and GTP and other fabrics as well. So she would always take me to the market with her and I would observe how she would do business with all these different market women and how they would be selling their clothes. And I was always so excited by the approach that they used because they would always come from the personal angle. And every time a customer would come to her shop, she would want to first find out what the customer was buying the cloth for. And then based on that, she would list the names of specific textile prints that matched with the person's story. And in our local dialects, they had so many names for these textiles. There was um, Trabenkum. Um, Trabenkum is like cutting a thousand, right? And mm. then there was Driakroje Mframa Ebu. It means if there's a single tree in the forest, when there's a strong wind, that tree would break down. But if there was a multitude of trees, they would support and shield each other. And these were some of the interesting names they had for the textiles that they were selling. And whenever someone would come in, the person's story would lead them to a particular textile print with a name that matches their story. And that was how they were selling their cloth. And I was so intrigued by it because my mother later on, when my grandmother got weaker, quit her job and decided that she was going to take over my grandmother's business. So I was caught again working with my mom <laughs> selling my grandmother's textiles and I was I was now getting because at that time I was older I was now getting more involved in the business to the point where I, I had to learn the names of these textiles and sell the same way my grandmother used to sell them and also be able to engage with people including those who bought in cash and particularly those who bought on credit because my mom would always send me to go and convince them to pay what they were owing so it set me on this incredible journey of how women traditionally went about marketing their wares. And my mother was very keen on education because my mom didn't finish her education. She, she dropped out of secondary school, went to secretarial school. So she was adamant that I finish secondary school and go to the university. And even if I wanted to take over the business, I had to do it with a higher academic acumen. So when I started university, I asked myself, what could I do? that would lead me down this path of marketing and selling. And that was when I decided to major in marketing. So my first degree was in marketing. And once I did the first degree, I became even more excited about it because coupled with what I knew from the practical angle, I realized that this is a field that I'm really passionate about and I want to remain in. So that is how I got into marketing. And since then I have done so much in terms of trying to come to terms with the nature of the field and how vast it is. Because when we talk about marketing, people's minds automatically go to sales and they tend to narrow it down to just that one thing. However, marketing is so broad and encapsulates so many other different areas. We can talk about social marketing, brand management, tourism marketing, service marketing, and so many others. So I was excited by the different areas in the field. And that spared me on to continue to learn more and more about the field all through to obtaining my PhD in the area. So that's how come I ended up in marketing. Wow. Okay. So you were <laughs> completely immersed like growing up, it's, it's almost like you, you really didn't have a choice. If you try to ignore the entrepreneurship bug or the marketing yeah. bug, you, <laughs> you would be going against what was innate inside of you. Yeah. Um, and I love how you talk about the different aspects of marketing, because even in your story, I hear, you know, and I'm going to make these topics up, but I hear the, the collections marketing, like you're convincing these people to pay 
the inventory mm-hmm. marketing. <laughs> You're telling them which one is right. The customer service yeah. marketing. Oh, wow. It is just um, so fascinating. When you think about that time with your grandmom and your mom, yeah. is there anything that you back then um, would have felt like, oh, this is, this is hard to do. This is a little bit challenging. I think the part about dealing with the various customers, they had one approach to dealing with customers. Like I said, it was about telling the customer what textile would suit their particular predicament. Mm-hmm. But if they had understood to an extent that not every customer was the same, because that line, although it worked with a lot of customers, didn't work with quite a number of them as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that is something that they would have really benefited from if they had the knowledge of the different customer segments that existed and how to be able to target those customers specifically with their needs, which perhaps may not always be getting a particular textile print with a name that matches whatever situation they're going through. They just want a nice print that has bright colors. You know, so I think that is what they could have benefited from by understanding the concepts of the different market segments and what their unique needs were. Wow. Do you think that that is something that the women entrepreneurs still um, struggle with or can or need support or can benefit from today? I believe so. I've been observing a number of women entrepreneurs in, in some sectors, particularly in the cosmetic sector and the food processing sector. And you see that there is one script that they all use. You even look at the kind of products that they manufacture, the ingredients that they they use in creating the products, the packaging. Sometimes it's very difficult to even tell the different products or items apart, even though they are from different entrepreneurs who are selling them. So you realize that it's just one script that they are all following and they are not being cognizant of the different target customers in the market for these products. For instance, when it comes to the manufacture of cosmetics, there is this particular soap that has become very popular even in the the foreign lands, which they call black soap. Mm -hmm. But locally we call it alata seminar. Now black soap by nature is very strong and it is not good for every skin type particularly sensitive skin types. If you have a sensitive skin type, that soap will not be good for you. If you have very dry skin, black soap will not be good for you. But you realize that because it is black soap and it is popular, they all just manufacture the same black soap, put it in the same container and offer it for sale. So basically you see the same containers, perhaps just the labels that are different and the formulations that they use are basically the same not realizing that there are different segments of customers with different skin types who may need different formulations, not particularly the same formulation that they are selling to everyone. So I think indeed in this sector and even in others, including fashion, the the entrepreneurs could learn from this concept of segmenting the market and targeting customers based on their specific and individual needs. Wow, I love that. I love that so much change the script, get more than one script, differentiate yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. These are the things that are jumping out to me. So I see it from that product side, but then also in that relationship side, I want to shift the focus a little bit to that area, because if you see that, okay, the general approach is, is a one play approach or a one size fits all approach in terms of the product, then let's discuss how that Um, is impacted in the relationship marketing piece? Like, how do you see that 
uh, playing out or what opportunities are there for women to differentiate themselves with relationship marketing? All right, so when it comes to relationship marketing, when we talk about relationship marketing as a concept, it's basically about building long lasting relationships as a firm or an entrepreneur with your customers and other stakeholders that you have that are profitable and are meant to exist into the long term. So when we look at the definition this way, we could even extend it to our daily life such that in every interaction or exchange that you have with any individual or institution, you want to make sure that at the end of that relationship or transaction, all parties have earned some kind of benefit or profit out of it. And that relationship is not just a one-time thing, but you will both continue to engage with and benefit from each other into the future. And that is the mindset that entrepreneurs or firms come to the practice of relationship marketing with. And one very popular theory we have in relationship marketing that permeates most of the discussion, especially when it comes to relationship building, is what we refer to as the commitment trust theory. So the theory basically talks about the fact that in every exchange or relational interaction, trust and commitment are at the core, such that if you want that relationship to be profitable and for each party or exchange partner to keep their side of the bargain, and fulfill their rights and responsibilities for everyone to get the profit that we are talking about, then there has to be trust and commitment between the parties. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs are yet to come to grasp with this mindset because they usually live for just the sale and how that particular sale will influence their bottom line. But with relationship marketing, the focus is not entirely on the one-time sale, but it's about the kind of relationship or bond that is created between the partners and how that bond will continue into the foreseeable future so that all the parties can be able to benefit. And this is at the core of marketing such that marketers are usually not interested in the one-time sale from a customer, but rather the consistent purchases that a customer is going to make into the foreseeable future, which we refer to as customer lifetime value. And that helps the firm to be able to earn more from a single customer than just getting them to make a one-time purchase. So in terms of relationship marketing, the idea is that you want to form this bond or relationship with your exchange partners, particularly your customers. And to be able to form that bond, you need to be able to understand the customer and what they need and how you can be able to serve those needs. So in the field of relationship marketing, when we talk about how these bonds are formed and how this trust and commitment is built, we talk about a lot of factors that come into play that the entrepreneur or the firm has as a responsibility to make sure that this bond is created and it is strong enough to be able to carry the relationship forward into the future. And they include things like continued communication, um, dispelling all forms of opportunistic behavior between exchange partners, making sure that the values that the customers have and that the firm have intersect, they have shared values, and each party perceives some kind of benefits that they are going to get. When it comes to relationship marketing, we could also delve into areas that have to do with engaging such that all forms of conflict are reduced and all manner of uncertainty between the customer and the firm and the other stakeholders is reduced because once a partner in the exchange is uncertain about something or they perceive some kind of conflict, it will not encourage them to continue to engage or interact with the firm or, or individual in question. So when it comes to relationship marketing, it's a conscious effort 
that requires the entrepreneur or individual or institution involved to put in place specific measures to ensure that these things that I have mentioned, particularly regarding how they contribute towards building a strong amount of trust and commitment between partners is done and done on a consistent basis to be able to achieve results. Okay, so when you think about this, I heard you when you said, you know, this is one area that women are, are still struggling with a little bit. What do you think is the biggest barrier to embracing this, this mindset for them to live beyond the sale? I think it's a lack of understanding of the role that relationship marketing will play. In some ways, women are traditionally engaging in various business practices that have semblances of relationship marketing. However, because they are not doing it consciously and through concerted effort, they are unable to reap the full benefits of it. So what if these women were able to understand the implications of the few relationship marketing practices that they are already engaging in? and how they could add on to these practices and put it in more of a structured manner in which they apply it and are able to track its implementation and the results that they get from it. They'll be able to get more benefits out of practicing it. The okay. main reason I'm saying this is because most of these entrepreneurs go into business mainly for the purposes of earning an income. Mm-hmm. And for a number of them, it's a side gig. A lot of female entrepreneurs I've interviewed in the past have said, well, I'm a banker and what I earn from the bank is not enough. So I'm just doing it as a side gig. So their their efforts and their concentration is not fully on the business and what they can invest in the business by way of relationship marketing or service marketing to be able to build it up to the next level because it's not their full-time gig. So again, they need to be able to concentrate more on the entrepreneurial activities they are engaging in and how relationship marketing can come into play in a more focused and concerted manner to help them to be able to reap the most benefits out of it. Okay, I love that. So um, understanding that the, the focus, like them not being able to put full focus on their, what we would call side hustle, yeah, um, is part of the barrier of not having all the information and support to be able to say, okay, let me think about this or see myself as an entrepreneur as opposed to, okay, I'm just adding something extra. I can actually relate to that. Now, for those that that are full-time entrepreneurs that do have the knowledge, that do have the understanding, um, that you know can see the value of relationship marketing, I feel like for those groups of people that the topic that you talked about on trust is yeah. is one that is a big big challenge and i'm wondering just based on what you've seen and 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 you've talked on and and taught on um what would you say is that barrier uh, for those that are full time and they may have an understanding of relationship marketing um the barrier to building trust and i'll say by extension commitment because once they are able to establish trust with their exchange partners these partners become committed. It's the fact that a lot of them are focused on the one-time sale. So they, they're willing to give you all the information you need to be able to make this purchase. And once you make this purchase, they move on to the next customer or are looking out for the next customer. They are not able to appreciate the fact that this one customer who has made a purchase is now a potential repurchaser that I have to pay attention to and, and keep an eye on and develop a relationship with. 
So for instance, if I was an entrepreneur and I had a first time customer and I wanted to build trust with them, I would usually after the first deal, check back with them to find out how they are experiencing the product or service that they have purchased and if they are happy with it. And to let them know whenever I have new stock or items similar to what they purchased in case they were interested in purchasing it. And would occasionally phone in to check on them to find out how they are doing. These are the little ways by which trust can be built because the constant communication means that the retailer or the seller in question is available. They are willing to serve and are ready whenever you are to be able to meet you at your point of need. However, these entrepreneurs do not look beyond the one-time sale. So it's difficult to build trust because sometimes you even go back to a retailer you previously purchased from and the person even struggles to remember who you are. They struggle to remember what you purchased from them and even how the purchase experience went. And that it does not help in terms of building trust because if the customer cannot even trust you to remember the previous purchase interaction that you had with them, how can they trust you to know that the next time they come, you're going to take good care of them or perhaps even better care of them? So that is one main thing that I believe is a barrier, the over-focus over on the one-time sale and forgetting that it is the one-time customers who end up becoming the repeat purchases who, who are loyal and will consistently purchase and introduce even new people to also come and purchase. Yes. I love this uh, aspect of, of trust so much because I feel like it's just a universal problem, um, yeah. trust in business. And then when you now add in the different cultures and understanding nuances and things like that, it just complicates the transaction or the interaction even more if you're not intentional, as you said, or conscious about it. And that just takes me to um, the digital space, because this is also an area where you are an expert in, and you've written a publication on mediating the role of trust using the finance sector as the industry that you used. And I'm thinking in the last several years, we've been using much more online e-commerce, digital focus for entrepreneurs. Can you just talk a little bit about that study, like what you observed and what main advice you would give, especially for entrepreneurs who are moving into that space? They may not be having the one-to-one -one interaction in person that the entrepreneur um, with the retail store or someone on the ground, but now they're still moving into a space and they still need to think about how to build trust in a digital way. Yeah, that's a good one. Going back to the publication you just talked about, so that particular publication was done in the year 2016. And back then, the e-commerce sector, particularly in Ghana, was still in its nascent stages, that the application of technology in various sectors, including the financial service sector, where the study was done, was still in its developmental stages. So firms were still coming to grasp how technology can be incorporated into their marketing activities to yield results. And because of that, the findings of that study versus a more recent study that I did in 2019 are pretty contradictory in the sense that at that time, there was no link between engagement and interactivity when it came to the building of trust, meaning that the firms were not doing enough to be able to build trust on these platforms. Mm -hmm. especially when it came to engagement and interactivity, which are at the core of building trust online, because the online medium is basically a faceless medium. 
-hmm. And therefore, you have to be able to put in place measures and actions that can be able to put a face to that faceless medium to be able to give people the impression that they are still engaging with an actual entity, even though they cannot see and touch that entity face to face. Now, it becomes even more prominent in a culture like ours, where traditionally we are used to physical and face-to-face -face interaction. And particularly in a sector as sensitive as the financial sector that has struggled in the past and still struggles to get people to actually trust the financial system. So in Ghana currently, we still have people who would not put their money in the bank. They will still put it under their bed. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and are very very afraid to trust a, a person who says that they want to hold on to their money because they do not believe that that person is going to take care of their money as well as they can. So when it came to, at that time, using technology in that sector for banking and financial services, people met it with a bit of skepticism because already the face-to-face -face medium was one that they could not fully trust and then enter the online medium. So in that study, it basically emerged that firms had to do more to be able to engage and interact with their customers on these platforms to enhance this trust that we are talking about. Because until they can get them to be able to trust the medium, they will not be willing to use it actively to perform financial transactions. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward 2018, 2019, when I did a follow-up study, the results were somewhat different, such that now engagement and interactivity now have a significant effect on trust, meaning that the banks had taken the hint and they have started incorporating tools to enhance the levels of engagement and interactivity such that as we speak now, the financial service sector, particularly banking, is one of the sectors that has advanced the most in terms of incorporating tools into their online interactions that build engagement and interactivity. Currently, they have live chat functions on their websites with which customers can um, put forth their complaints and get responses. They have very active social media platforms with people managing these platforms on a 24-hourly basis directly responding to customer queries and inquiries. They have also launched all manner of chatbots to be able to engage with customers on the different platforms, including WhatsApp and Instagram, to consistently put a face to their presence online. That's enhancing the level of engagement and interactions between they and their customers and ultimately building this trust. So we see that every firm taking a cue from the banking sector and what they have been able to do has to make sure that even though, particularly for entrepreneurs who may not have all the resources that these banks have to invest in all these new technologies to be able to enhance this engagement and interactivity, have to find ways of putting a face to this faceless medium that they are using. And in interacting with a number of entrepreneurs who primarily started their businesses on online platforms like Instagram, where they, they were solely operating for several months up to a year, realized that at some point they had to find a way of setting up some kind of offline presence so that even if they were not able to serve all the needs of their customers from this physical location, they were able to use it as a means of putting a face to their online presence. Because... Currently, we are in an era in e-commerce, particularly in Ghana, where there are a lot of scams and frauds taking place online. So customers are not as trustworthy as they used to be when the technology was first introduced. So by having some kind of offline presence to be able to put a face to the online 
seller or retailer that you're dealing with, firms online can be able to build trust with their customers by reassuring them that I can deal with you online, but if you also want to deal with me face-to-face -face offline, that is also possible. So that for those customers that may not be comfortable dealing with the retailer online, they can be able to feel free to do so offline. And it also opens up the market to the retailer to gain access, not just to those customers that want to deal with them online, but also have access to those customers who are still pessimistic and would still not transact online, but would prefer to do it in person or face-to-face. -face. Okay, I love that. I love that because you're not only saying, hey, having a physical location is a way to build or strengthen digital trust, but you're also expanding your reach. So you could have some foot traffic. It's like, you know, one size or one approach is not going to be the way to do it successfully or have a best practice. If you do have an online or e-commerce business in Ghana or perhaps in other African countries, a good way to strengthen that trust is to have a physical location where um, that will just support the business. I mean, I could definitely see how um, people would be concerned or nervous about giving their money or turning their money over into the bank because we've heard so many stories. Um, it's something that, you know, I grew up in the Bahamas and it's something that we also um, experience where people are like, no, I'm not putting my money there. You know, it's like, uh -uh. Yeah. no, they're going to steal my money and all of this stuff. So, I mean, it's very real. We, when we're talking about these things, you definitely have to acknowledge the reality of what we're facing. So there's one thing that I'm really kind of curious about, because when we think about expansion and we think about global business, oh, by the way, I just have to say, when I applied for the Ghana visa here, it was yeah. so seamless. I mean, it was mm -hmm. ultimate, professional, quick, easy. I didn't have to worry about anything. It came within a week. I'm like, yes, thank awesome. you. Yes. <laughs> and so I definitely see the progression there. And I think if it could happen there, it could happen anywhere. But now when I think about expanding and, and global connections and global reach and, and global trade across the continent, intercontinental trade, and then even expanding outside of the, the continent, I mean, when I hear the barrier, the, the trust barriers is there. It's there on the local level, and it will be there at a heightened level when you expand. And then I hear the issue around relationship marketing and the lack of understanding and the lack of really grasping that whole piece. I'm just wondering, do you think that it is possible for women business owners that are on the continent to really engage in successful intercontinental trade without having that understanding of relationship marketing or, you know, just how do we get to that place where we are in um, doing inter intercontinental trade or trade outside of the country? How do we get to that place where it's sustainable and it's not just a one-time thing or a, a temporary thing? So, so like you said, it's, it's all about the ability to be able to build this trust that we're talking about. And by building this trust, they are able to ultimately get the commitment of all partners involved. Now, when a firm is expanding, be it an entrepreneur or even a multinational corporation into an international market or an external marketplace, there's always the need to work with a network of partners because there are a lot of unknown variables in these external markets and, and foreign locations that partners in these locations can bring to bear in the relationship that can help 
the, the firm or the entrepreneur who is expanding into these markets to be able to do so in a more seamless manner. However, to be able to engage with these partners and get the benefits that they are expecting, they have to be able to trust the advice of these partners and trust that these partners are going to put in the necessary efforts to get them to where they want to get to in terms of expanding into these foreign markets. Now that trust comes with a lot of responsibilities on the part of both partners. For instance, like I mentioned, when it comes to the commitment trust theory, to be able to build trust, there should be active communication. If partners are not communicating with each other, they would not know what is expected of them in terms of the exchange relationship. For instance, entrepreneurs in Ghana who want to export to foreign countries sometimes forget that the regulations and the requirements to do business in these markets are totally different from that of our local context. So you realize that to avoid having to fulfill all these requirements and commitments that they have to in order to expand into these markets, they would rather just resign themselves to the local market and simply serve the local market. And that has opened up a whole sector where people who are from, for instance, Ghana, who live in other countries and realize the potential of some of the products that we have here, but they are unable to get access to in these foreign markets, would rather come down to Ghana, do their own sourcing, get the, the raw material themselves and see through the processes that are required to package and manufacture these raw materials to meet the standards of the foreign markets that they are in and export them to those markets themselves, which takes away a huge opportunity from the indigenous entrepreneurs who are actually manufacturing and producing these things to be able to directly export to these markets themselves and earn some benefits. So what if they could themselves engage in all these activities? by communicating directly with these foreign partners, accepting their responsibilities, understanding what cooperation is, because sometimes cooperation is also another difficult thing for entrepreneurs who want to expand into foreign markets, given the fact that they do not trust their foreign partners enough mm -hmm. to cooperate with them in a manner that would be beneficial to both parties. They feel that in engaging with a foreign partner, they are they being the weaker party or being and um, the, the one perhaps coming into the relationship with somewhat of a disadvantage are, are being set up to be cheated. I speak to some entrepreneurs and they're like, well, when you're dealing with these people, because a number of them as well, might I add, are not that much educated. And you know, export has a lot of complicated issues that requires some degree of understanding and education on the processes. So the moment they begin to engage with these international partners and, and they, they realize what it entails and what it involves, and they realize a lot of it is outside of their comfort zone and their competencies, they tend to take a step back. So it's about being able to appreciate the fact that you are partnering with someone who is more knowledgeable, has more experience and expertise, and to be able to help that person to fulfill their obligations to you, you, know, to, you need to depose some trust in them and show them some kind of commitment on your part by fulfilling your end of the bargain, by, by doing everything that you're expected to do, fulfilling all, all your, your responsibilities, such that they will also be able to meet you halfway by also doing what is expected of them, to be able to open up these markets to you. Because without these partnerships, in some instances, these entrepreneurs and businesses have no way of gaining access to these foreign markets. I think that 
historically, like it's legitimate, the feeling of a suspicion, this, the feeling yeah. of, you know, like being cheated. It's legitimate historically. I almost feel like this is something that is subconsciously embedded in the DNA of people, um, yeah. especially when it comes to business, because I mean, you can do everything you can, you can, I just think about here, my practice and um, the people that I support, my clients, and you can do your due diligence, you can do things the right way, and you can still come up against the shady people. And so yeah. the, that reality is there. And then historically, I feel like that reality is there where people um, have been conditioned with, you know, with legitimacy to be very cautious and skeptical and um, have their trust uh, alert on really, really, really high. But as we're talking about finding solutions and being a bridge and connecting with other um, Black cultures around the world, I want to shift gears into another area of your expertise because I feel like that could be part of the solution. And I know that that area is that you are an artist. You're an artist. You um, specialize in music and the arts as experiential forms of learning. And you also yeah. infuse uh, spiritual messages into the music. And when I think about that, I think about, okay, yes, we're talking about trust and we're talking about theory, but learning about the theory is one aspect and implementation is another. I feel as though being able to pull into both of your expertise, the knowledge of uh, marketing and relationship marketing, and, and then infusing the, the local practices of the arts with music, um, there could be some form of new way of learning. I'm just making it up here. Um, if we were to if we were to blend both of those expertise with the one goal to um, impact trust or to help entrepreneurs be become more trusting or begin to learn to um, build better trusting relationships, what could that possibly look like? <laughs> like if you if there was if there was no limits, like let's just play for a minute and and then we'll begin to wrap up. But if there were no limits and you had your way and you could be creative with your music and with your expertise. And then the, the challenge is, you know, we have, these are the tools we have in order to impact trust, global trust among entrepreneurs. What would you do? Okay. So I think I'll take it from the point where I, I talked about segmentation and segmenting the market and being able to target different customers with their unique needs and preferences. I think that was what set my music career off. It's been, since it started, it's been a partnership between me and my husband. He's actually the writer of most of the songs and the producer. And we've been working with youth for, for a while. And we realized that just from a marketing perspective, looking at the entertainment industry, there are a lot of celebrities from actors to musicians who have a great impact on the youth particularly musicians. And they do so because of a particular approach that they have to their music and who they target with their music. So for every artist that you mention and the genre of music that they do, they have a certain group of people that they appeal to. And we were thinking, okay, so why can't we do that to gospel music or Christian music? Because in Ghana, Growing up, we were told a lot about God and about Jesus Christ and about how we need to trust him in the face of all these uncertainties in life and suspicions. And initially, you only know what you are told. And 
perhaps what you read from the Bible. But we realize that the youth are very lazy when it comes to reading the Bible. And sometimes when it comes to even understanding and interpretation, they are challenged a bit. But when it comes to listening to secular music, like listening to say a Beyonce or to a Nicki Minaj, and they are, they are singing one of Nicki Minaj's songs, they sing it word for word without missing a beat. What if we could do something like that, but apply it to learning the word of God and being able to understand the principles of Christian religion and, and the principles of loving Christ and being a good person and being able to empathize in general in life. So we decided that since that gap was existing, particularly in the Ghanaian context, where a lot of the gospel music that was being produced in Ghana was more of high life music. So they all had the high life rhythm to them, but Ghanaian youth were being introduced to different genres of music. Ghanaian youth are now listening to trap music, Afro beats, hip hop, R&B. How can we infuse the virtues of Christianity into these genres of music so that the youth can still enjoy the fun aspects of these genres, but do so and at the same time learn something about values, about how to be a good person, about how to make an impact. And that was what set us off into using this music. So in essence, we are marketing to them what has been traditionally marketed to them as a boring, um, systematic process of attending church every Sunday and listening to the pastor preach and turning it into something that would be more appealing to them by putting the messages that they would have heard if they had shown up in church on a Sunday into their favorite trap music or hip hop music or R&B music that they usually listen to. And this can be extended, like you said, into the area of entrepreneurship where through music, various messages can be sent. Traditional Ghanaian music um, benefited from a lot of this where lessons of life were infused into songs. So while you were singing the song, you were listening to the lyrics that were telling you a story or a life experience of a particular individual and how those experiences affected their lives and how you can also learn from these experiences. So by adding music to the marketing and to everything that I do, it's usually a seamless transition for me. And they all come together in synergy because when I, I go to class to teach, for instance, I'm able to use the music that I produce as examples for my students. And currently, a lot of my students listen to my, my songs online. And sometimes they even reach out to me to discuss the topics of some of the songs that are available online. And we have very healthy discussions about how the, the content of the music is going to affect their lives and how they can be able to learn valuable lessons from them. Mm, I see this as this uh, uh, outstanding solution. Um, it is it is a solution that I feel is the absolute way um, in helping to eradicate some of the challenges and suspicions around building trust in business. And I can see how you know you would segment the music based on you know women entrepreneurs from where they're from, what what tribe they're or communities they're coming from, or what type of um, genres they would engage in, but I can certainly see how the stories, I mean, can you imagine um, the healthy discussions of business being discussed through, <laughs> through, through the music, you know, yeah. as a way to kind of like uh, support the, 
the need to eradicate the fear around trust and to really, you know, propel and empower women to take those steps so that they can experience much more a business success. I see that as the way, really, one of the, the, the more effective ways to get them to understand that piece. So this has been such an incredible conversation, Dr. Sheena, because I mean, you've given so much information to think about. And I know that every single one of the listeners, especially those that are entrepreneurs and those that are considering entrepreneurship will walk away understanding several things. First of all, understanding that market segment, get more scripts. Don't just have the same script for everybody. Differentiate yourself in your product. Live beyond the sale. I think that's what this title of the episode needs to be. Live beyond the sale because it's all about relationship marketing. And I love how you've given us so much focus on trust because I feel it's one of the biggest obstacles, um, not just on the continent or in Ghana, but basically around the world when it comes to doing business successfully and having long-term collaborations and partnerships. So thank you so much for giving us this wisdom and your experience and your insight into how you got to this place where you are and also leaving us with the gem, the gem, the gem around music. I mean, there's so many things that music is used to influence people for. So why not use that same medium to influence them for business success? So is there anything before we begin to close that you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? I'd just like to say that we are at a point in, in the world in general that we can't afford to just think about, in marketing terms, we would say the sale, but um, I'd like to, to bring it home more by saying the here and now, because every single action that we do has a long-term and wide-reaching implications. Um, I remember I was having a conversation with one of my students who was um, concerned about what was happening in Sri Lanka. And another one who was concerned about what was happening in Ukraine and in their minds, they thought we in Ghana here were just acting like we were far removed from the situation and nobody was really having a lot of conversation about it and how it was going to affect us. And I think it's about time that we begin to live thinking more, not just about ourselves and our situation, but about how other people are also living in other parts of the world and how situations that they are facing could have long-term and far-reaching implications for all of us. So all I want to say is that we should begin thinking about others and perhaps finding time to say a prayer for all these people, even though we can't see them and can't actively experience their predicament, just to say a prayer for them to be able to sail through whatever they are going through because the implications could have consequences for us as well, be it direct or indirect. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, and if they want to connect with you, where can they go to find you online? Okay, so I am on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Lavia Watting. And on LinkedIn, I am I can be reached at Sheena L. Watting. Yes. For now, those are the only two platforms I'm on. Fantastic. So everyone, you heard it. I told you this was going to be an incredible show. Dr. Sheena took us to school. We were in class today. (laughs) So um, until next time, take care and be well. 
Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit clairecommunicationsolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.